I think it's going to rain and it's going to stop. This is I Am a Griefist, a childhood cancer grief journey podcast. Hi, Mom. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Another early one. Yeah, that's okay. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so this one, so today we have a guest. I shouldn't be excited about it, but I am just like, I was listening to an old episode recently where we had talked about when we were in a bereavement group and we had new people that we would get excited for a new, like, person to connect to a new shared experience and so I think that's where my excitement comes from is like I'm anxious to hear about a new person's perspective especially this person today because of like the time frame so we've met folks around the time frame of you know six and a half years six years of when our loved one has passed even you know less time with Charlie and Kelly and Rhea and so Today's guest is giving us a much broader and longer perspective of what this grief journey is like. So I am really looking forward to hearing all about what all that entails. Right. I think we said this before, but we didn't see what it was going to be in a day. In yeah, a week, we couldn't even fathom. So yeah. when somebody would come in to our grief groups and they had two years on, three yeah. years on, it was wow, you were able to survive that. It gave us hope for tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. And the fact that they were able to go back to work or go back to school or do some normal stuff that I just thought that's never going to happen again. The impossible, it Mm -hmm. seemed like. Yeah, it was possible. So our guest has how how many years? 25. Yeah. That's what's amazing. Yeah. Crazy. Mm -hmm. So I am looking forward to that just because of that. Yeah. Well, it looks like she has joined us. I know. So let's let her in and get our introduction going and meeting this wonderful woman. Okay. All right. So guest, please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Roxanne Cavillo, and I currently live in Monument, Colorado. And my son's name was Ryan Cavillo. He was eight years old when he was diagnosed with brain cancer. Took me a while to get this down, but the type of cancer was anaplastic astrocytoma. He was 10 years old when he passed away in Mm. Purple Wow. Is there an acronym for that long name? I have no idea. Okay. It was either brain tumor, brain cancer, or I learned it because, well, subsequently, of course, I was curious, you know, when he was diagnosed, he was diagnosed in 1994. Wow. And he passed away in 1996. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have all the technology and access to Google that we do now because, okay. you know, what happens? You, your loved one was diagnosed is you Google it, right? Absolutely. What is it? What's going on? So I did not have access to any of that at the time, but I was curious afterwards and curious even most recently, what is the prognosis of that? Because that's, what, you know, I guess we're going to stop. That's one thing that you want to know, you know, when you're given this terrible diagnosis, what is the prognosis? Absolutely. 
So we will get into all of that, but let's back up and take us to the beginning. Tell us about, you know, Ryan as a kid, how did he existence? How did he get here? Tell us all about him. See, well, he probably got here based on some poor choices in, <laughs> as a student, um, hanging out with the wrong crowd, not going to school and just me being a silly 19 year old infatuated with the bad boy that I thought I wanted to have. So wow. <laughs> um, I got pregnant by him. And when I found out I was pregnant, it was towards the end of our relationship. I knew this just really wasn't going anywhere. So I told him, and then I subsequently learned that he left town. He moved mm. to Florida from California. At the time I was living in Northern California with my parents and my two brothers. So he left, I set up an appointment to get an abortion. And then, yeah, it was set up for February 14th, 1985. So I thought about it and thought about it. And I had an aunt who was going through infertility treatment. And I said, there is no way I can go through with this. She wants to have a child and I am pregnant. No. And, and they set it up on Valentine's Day. Oh, I was no. going to say, oh, no. but jeez. <laughs> My goodness. No. So, a girlfriend and I had a trip planned to go to Disneyland. And so we went. And I thought, well, you know, you're not supposed to ride those roller coasters when you're pregnant. But what if I miscarry? Oh, it, uh-huh. it will all, right? Right. That oh sounds gosh. horrible, but it's the truth, right? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. the truth. Yeah, sure. Well, he survived. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I had um, a seemingly, uh, my pregnancy was fine. It was great. I gained 40 pounds, but when he was born, my mom was in the delivery room with me and my dad was in the waiting room, but he was late. And so one morning, it was about two o'clock in the morning. I was in bed and my water broke. And then I was, you know, I had read all those books, you know, you're going to be on labor for days and you're right, in the right, hospital. Right. For- mm-hmm. So I said, oh, well, I'm going to go take a shower. So I took a shower and all of a sudden I felt like my stomach was dropping to my knees. I said, what is happening? So I blow dry my hair and my mom is on the phone. It's like three o'clock in the morning and she's on the phone. She's the oldest of eight kids. And she's on the phone with, you know, I don't know, her mother, sister, whomever. I'm like, we got to go to the hospital. We got to the hospital at four o'clock. They put an epidural in me. Now looking back, I'm not sure why. They gave me an enema because I guess that's what you did in 1985. And he was born at 4.53. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so when he came out, I'm looking and I'm looking at this big baby. I'm like, that looks like a doll. What? What did they say? Because I didn't hear what they said. It was a boy or a girl. Because I didn't find out for him. And my mom thought that I heard them, but didn't believe it because I wanted a girl and it was a boy. (laughs) But I I just didn't hear it. But in my mind, I'm thinking, that's a big baby. Oh. (laughs) My mom said, it's it's a boy. I said, okay. Eight pounds, 15 ounces. Oh. It was long. And yeah, I don't recall if they gave me a episiotomy or if they did it tour. But anyhow, so I decided, you know, well, the father is not in his life. I had two conversations with him and neither one 
surrounded, hey, I want to be by your side and take care of our child. So um, I decided, hey, I got to get my butt in gear, get my butt to college. And because men make more money than women, but if I've got a college degree, then maybe that'll give me a, 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 you know, a leg up. So he was born October 7th, 1985, and I got my butt back to class in January of 1986. So I lived with my parents. They were great support. I worked my way through, you know, working, going to school. And he was about, he was a very easy, healthy, healthy child. You know, just did the well, well child checkups. I don't think he ever broke a bone. Um, one time he had a bike accident and he was wearing his helmet, but he fell and he hit his chin. And I looked, I go, oh, your chin's good. It's all fine. It's good. And then a couple of days later, he goes, mom, something in my, in my mouth, my tooth is wrong. I'm like, what are you talking about? So he opened his mouth and his molar was split in half. <gasps> And this was like, this was like two or three days later. (laughs) All kinds of mother of the year material. (laughs) So I'm like, I'm looking back and forth from one molar to another and it doesn't look right. Then I decided, oh my gosh, there's skin between this this tooth. Oh my goodness. So the dentist we went so you know um there were a couple times where you know he'd have the stomach flu and he'd be down for 12 hours and you know right grandma carmen what'd you do the brat diet right you know mm-hmm. you just ease them in with the bananas the rice right. the applesauce right yeah so we did so he was fine so he was about two years old two to three years old and i'm out and i'm folding laundry and he said mom find me a dad oh <laughs> Um, okay. Well, certainly, they didn't have, they have tender for single women back then. So, okay. Fast forward a few years, and um, I'm, I did find him a dad. I met my husband just a month before I was graduating from college. Wow. I had a, a good friends that I had met in high school. And um, they were on a bowling team. And every year they would go to Reno. So they said, hey, this year, come to Reno with us. You know, we're leaving from Northern California. We're on a bus. We're going to Reno for the weekend. And they had asked me that a couple of times. And then this time I'm like, oh, sure. Okay. My son was five, you know, and stay with the grandparents. So my husband was on the bus. And they introduced us. Um, my friends did. And then that night at, at, at breakfast at midnight in Reno, they're, oh, he's such a, got such a great family and blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, I'm really not interested. I have a boyfriend right now. Okay. Well, somehow we ended up going to dinner, my girlfriend and I, and he, the next night we ended up going to dinner the next night. And, um, this story he loves to tell. So where he's buying dinner. And so it was like a roast beef dinner or something like that. So I ate my salad, all of it. And then I ate my dinner. And he said that he was just taken aback that a girl would eat all of her food. He thought I would eat half of it and say, would you like rest? <laughs> and I did it. <laughs> so oh, Sunday morning, get on the bus. And I was sitting at the front of the bus because the back of the bus had all those smokers. Oh, all the yeah. uh-huh. Sitting in the back of the bus and I didn't want to be back there. So I sat in the front, you know, it was kind of like school, you know, like you, first day of school you take your seat then the next day you just have the same seat so I sat in the front 
And I sat by the window and here he comes and he asked to sit next to me. So he did. And uh, we talked all the way back home. And the next day I was on vacation and I get a phone call from him because my telephone number was listed in the white pages. Oh <laughs> my. Yes. I remember those. <laughs> My own dedicated home phone number within my parents' house. Wow. <laughs> Listed phone book. Wow. So he looked me up. He asked me out. I went with him. We went to see Dances with Wolves and we went to Denny's for, to chat. And, um, so hang on a second. You had a boyfriend still while this was happening? Well. <laughs> Scandal. I promptly broke up with him the next day. Oh. <laughs> but yes, you more like mother of the year material. Setting <laughs> yeah. a great example for my child. So on Tuesday night was bowling night, and so I went to go watch him bowl, and my friends walked in the bowling alley, and they just, ah, they were so excited because I was there with him. Mm -hmm. uh, so that the next weekend was Memorial Day weekend, and I had planned to go to Tahoe with my now ex-boyfriend. So I asked, I guess, my new now boyfriend, will you come with me? So he did. So ever since then, we have been together. He wanted to make sure, though, that when he became a father, that it was right. He didn't want us to get married right away. Things went really fast for us, between us. We moved in together four months later, and then he he was the coach of Ryan's t-ball team. Oh. Yeah, and then we started planning our wedding. During that time, and I'm probably skipping, but during that time, well, actually... When we were going to go to Tahoe, I was going to get in the truck and he said, he had country music on. And I said, you're really not listening to that shit, are you? <laughs> because I was rock and roll, pop rock. Yes. You know, Huey Lewis, Journey, Foreigner. Yes. Know, the Green, Alpham, right? And he said, yes, I am. And I said, okay. So he converted me to country music. So mm. we've been together for about a year. And one day I came, I was out, I was driving to work and then coming home from work, I had on country music and they had country cares for kids. And it was a St. Jude radio phone. Mm. Listening to that tugged at my heart stream. Mm -hmm. oh, those poor people that have kids that have cancer, how awful for them. That's terrible for them. Yeah. Maybe I could do something to help. So I pledged $10 a month. Oh. So I went home, I went home and I said, Hey, I know we kind of talked about that, you know, finances, we'd make decisions together, but I was listening to the radio and I pledged $10 a month to see you. And he says, that's okay. Cause I pledged 15. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. So, so we got married in May of 1993 and prior to us getting married, we decided that we would move to Colorado. It's a huge decision for me, Mama. Like I said, my mom's the oldest of eight kids. All of my family is in Northern California. But what we decided was that, look, we want to live in a nice neighborhood, have our child go to a nice school, have more kids. This is what we want. Because at the time, we were living in a mobile home park, and Ryan would go out and he'd ride his bike. And some of those older, cranky people, mm -hmm. they would... They would, they didn't like it. It was a, you know, a senior park converted to a family park. Mm. And 
they just weren't really kid friendly. So we thought we got to do something different. Well, he has family that lives in Colorado. His parents met and grew up in Colorado. He had grandparents in Colorado. And we went out and we looked at a house. And we're like, we can get a brand new house for $135,000. Yeah. We got to do that. We have got to do that. So we did. We got married two weeks later. He moved me out to Colorado. Wow. Ryan was, he was just, uh, he was just, you know, a normal kid that liked sports, that liked, he also got converted to country music <laughs> and got a cowboy hat. Um, you know, but it was just the two of us now, and I'm still a Huey Lewis fan. I would sing to him, happy to be stuck with you, <laughs> you know, was like our song. So he loved Chinese food. He loved to tell jokes. If there was just no seriousness with this kid, he would come up to you, he'd talk to you. He would um, bust out jokes during treatment. He would bust out jokes. His favorite at the time was Jeff Foxworthy. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jeff Foxworthy. The name sounds familiar. So he would tell these jokes of kind of making fun of his family of Mm. you might be redneck if okay dot dot dot. yeah yeah (laughs) so one of ryan's favorites was if your dad walks you to school because you're in the same grade you might be oh no (laughs) that's funny (laughs) so he just he, he loved telling jokes and yeah chinese food and bean burritos without cheese from taco bell and you know just really 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 a happy kid happy and healthy happy and healthy lead us into diagnosis when like when did you know what was the case what was the events that led up to diagnosis right so we you know we moved to colorado we got pregnant. We signed a contract to buy a brand new house. It was built. We moved in in April. I was due in June. Um, and Ryan was in the fourth grade. Looking back now, one day he's sitting at the dining room table. He's supposed to be doing his homework. And he's just staring off into space. I'm like, Ryan, what are you doing? You're supposed to be doing your homework. Okay, okay. So our second son was born June 14th, you know, so here we are. We're in our beautiful house, beautiful neighborhood, newly married. We're going to have a family. Everything's going to be fantastic. What Mm -hmm. could go wrong? Mm -hmm. Well, TJ's two-week-old appointment was scheduled, but I called the pediatrician's office. I said, I can't come in. I said, my eight-year-old, he is, he's sick. He can't get out of bed. He's got nausea. He's got vomiting. You know, I can't come in. So we're going to have to reschedule. And so they went over the whole, well, you know, probably stomach flu, do the brat diet, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, over the next two weeks, I brought him to the pediatrician's office four times because he was having bouts of headaches, nausea, vomiting, and on the 4th of July, we had family over. My my husband's sister lived in the area. She moved to Colorado after we did. And she has two little kids that were, um, the oldest was Ryan's age. So Ryan had come down the stairs and I looked at him. I remember looking at him going, oh my God, he, something doesn't look right. Something mm. is wrong. He was pale. I don't know if it looked like he had lost weight. 
And, um, but he was, you know, had a great attitude. He was so excited to be able to go play with his cousins. Mm -hmm. So the neighborhood we moved into was new construction. So behind us, they were building houses. So the kids went out and there was a big pile of dirt and they went to go play on it. Well, they came in and they said, Ryan fell. What do you mean Ryan fell? And he's got scratch marks on the side of his neck. And I'm like, what, what, why didn't he put out his hands to stop all? Yeah. the next day, I brought him to the pediatrician. By this time, this is the third time. The pediatrician examined him, and he looked at me, and he said, well, I was thinking he may have a brain tumor, but he, everything in his eyes are clear. And I'm like, what? And he sent us home. Wow. So wow. The, the next day, I sent him to school. Thursday, I sent him to school. Thursday, school sent him back again. This is the, I don't know how many time in two weeks. In Colorado at that time, they were going to school year round and they were on a track system. And that was to help alleviate all of the you know population that was flooding the schools. So his school year started at the in July. So he had just started school, just started the fifth grade. So now things are like, well, is he sick or is he jealous because he has a new brother? You know, oh. is the, what's happening? So if I can interrupt you really quickly. So you hear brain tumor. Did that sit with you at all during that time? Or was that kind of just like in the back of your head? Like, it's probably not that, but let's, you know, keep an eye on him. Exactly. And it was actually three days later, I took him back again, only. And I remember that was a Tuesday that I had, I called my parents because I was, you know, letting them know. I said, well, the doctor said it might be a brain tumor. And of course, they're like, (gasps) Right. Yeah. He said, but, right. And he said, but they said, no, it's, you know, his exam looked good. Okay. Well, again, on Friday morning, trying to send him to school and you know, I had my stomach I'm like, we're going to the doctor again. Yeah. So this is July 8th, 1994. And this was the day he was diagnosed. I took him to the pediatrician. At this point, I'm breastfeeding my four-week-old baby. So I left him at home with uh, my husband's parents who were visiting. They came to help, you know, meet their grandchild, be those their first few weeks, you know. Sure. Left him at home. Went to the pediatrician's office. And so we're sitting there. And he says, okay, I'm going to turn off the lights. Okay. Turn off the lights. And he looks into his eyes. And then he leaves the room. And then he brings in another doctor. Uh-oh. And then they leave the room and they bring in a third doctor. Oh, and he says, we're going to, he says, downstairs, we have an imaging center and we're going to send you for a head CT. Okay. So we go down there, they do the CT and then he comes and he sits with me and he says, where's your husband? And I said, he's working. He's in Fort Collins, which was about an hour and a half away. I said, why? He said, well, he has a brain tumor. We are going to do an MRI, and then you are going to leave here and go to the Children's Hospital in Denver. What what do I do? And I said, and I'm breastfeeding my baby, and by this time, my breasts are getting, like, full of milk. So looking back, I didn't clearly know what to do to how to get a hold of my husband. He worked off of a pager, and I, I, what happened was... Well, first of all, they sent down the lactation consultant and brought me into a room so they could pump my breast and pump the milk out. Wow. And that was 
the first of many times where I would go into a room and pump my mouth because my baby, newborn baby wasn't with me. Right. So he was really dehydrated. And so they were, they wanted to get an MRI with contrast and they had a really hard time finding a line. They were poking him and poking. Oh. I know you talked about the pokes with your little ones, so you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think they were finally able to get some contrast in and... I called my house and I talked to my mother-in-law. I said, look, I said, this is what's happening. Ryan has a brain tumor and we have to go to Children's in Denver. And I said, I've never even been to Denver. I don't know how to get there. I just, I don't think I could do this alone. Can you send my father-in-law? So my father-in-law came to the pediatrician's office and he drove us to the hospital. What I should have done was I should have paged my husband to call my home phone. But I didn't. I just, I didn't know what to do. In yes. my mind, I was thinking, okay, I want to page him and have him call here, but he's not going to recognize the number. What if he doesn't call? But anyways, it was a Friday. And um, from my memory, he got off work, went home, and then my mother-in-law told him. And then he had to drive back to the hospital. So they get us checked into a room and... You know, Ryan, for the last few days, it's just been kind of really lethargic out of it. So they say, okay, we're going to put you in a room and um, he he can't have anything to eat, nothing to eat or drink because they were trying to map out a um, surgery plan. Yeah. Well, I don't know what happened, but you tell this child he can't eat and drink and suddenly he's full of life and stomping around the room like, I need something to eat. I'm hungry, completely out of character for him. This is a hospital. This is a place where they help people. They should be able to give me something to eat. Mm. And I was just trying to calm him down. And then they tried to start a line and they couldn't. Mm. They ended up taking him to, they said, we're going to have to take him to another room. So I don't know what, I don't know where they, they took him somewhere. I don't know if at that time they used ultrasound to find the vein. They ended up starting a line in his ankle. Because mm. I think they have so many. So my husband gets there, I remember, and he ha- brought me something to eat. And the nurse had been in, you know, to, to chat a little bit. And then so the surgeon walks in and I'm eating a sandwich. He said, oh, good, you're eating. Um, I really am going to encourage you to get to eat, to sleep. This is going to be a long haul. I need you at your best when you need to make decisions. And the nurse says, well, he's nursing a four-week-old, too. He said, oh, okay. So he showed us the MRI film. And I think it was at that moment where I thought, I am now one of those families from the St. Jude commercial. What is happening? This doesn't happen to us. This happens to other people in commercials. There was this big spot in the middle of my son's brain and they had to try to decide the best way to get to it and they had to they had to determine though first at this point brain tumor it's a brain tumor right so in your mind it's like well we got to do a biopsy we need to see it is it cancerous or not so the next day and they ended up doing it the next day that night i spent the night in the room with him and the next day they did they tried to do a biopsy it took them for a while but after they got out of surgery, they put him in ICU where they monitored him and parents are not allowed to stay in the ICU, which I guess for me ended up being a good thing. I needed to be able to get home and get rest, but thank God he was eight years old. I don't know what I would have done if they would have said, you can't stay here with your four-year-old. I, 
I don't know what would have happened. I might have had to go about something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so two days later, he had the big brain surgery, you know, where by this time my parents have flew in from California and we hunkered down in the waiting room. I don't even remember what in the world we brought for us to keep ourselves occupied during that time. He went back to ICU after the surgery. The surgeon said that he could not get all of it, mm. uh, maybe 80%, but it was a really a type of tumor that wasn't clean. Oh, okay. That kind of spread out and you mm. just really cannot surgically without doing any damage. Right. Because what ended up happening was the majority of the brain tumor was in the right side of his brain, which affected the left side of his body. Mm-hmm. So when he came out of surgery and when we eventually transitioned the first time from July 8th, we were in that hospital for three weeks straight because mm-hmm. he had that surgery. And then it, I, it took like a few days, I want to say, for the pathology to come back. I don't understand why, maybe one or two. But anyways, where they said had a definitive diagnosis of anaplastic astrocytoma grade four. Mm. I don't recall who asked well, okay, what's the prognosis? What's the percentage? And they stopped us right there. They said, look, your child is not a percentage. We do not base, we do not tell you that. We do not tell you. We are not going to tell you your son has a 50% shot or a 35% shot or whatever. They were very careful. They, they would not do that. So we said, okay. So we're, we are going to do the best we can to have him survive. And by the way, you have got to treat him normally. You've got to treat him like a normal kid because if you spoil them and when they survive, then you've got a spoiled kid. <laughs> I like, think they sorry. said that to Jess too. Yeah. Right? They might end yeah. up like me. <laughs> <laughs> so we said, okay, that's fine. The problem with that philosophy though is that they did not adhere by their own statement to us. Mm-hmm. Because if he wanted a video, he called the nurse and she'd bring in a video. <laughs> right. If he wanted Popsicle yeah. at midnight, they'd bring him Popsicle at midnight. Oh, look, here's your breakfast menu. You know, there's an egg McMuffin, there's, you know, yeah. French toast, French eggs, whatever, here, order this. Yeah, I had to put that to a stop when we got home. I said, <laughs> I know you've been in the hospital for three weeks ordering your egg with muffins, but that's not happening yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> But what I think is interesting is that during that time frame, they didn't give you the statistics that I think is overloaded nowadays. It's yeah. like, where do you fall into that, you know, into this sort of research, which I think is just interesting that they've changed sort of that philosophy. It is interesting, but I also think that it's interesting the difference between well, your surgeon who was, wow, who could come out and say, if this was my kid, oh, yeah. this, is, this is the best cancer to have. Oh, my gosh. I've heard those words, but not for my son, but for myself a few years later. The best cancer to have. Don't ever say that to anyone. No. <laughs> ever. <laughs> what is wrong with you? you why are you telling a parent the best cancer to have. <laughs> right. Stop saying that. <laughs> Amen, <Don't> have- sister. <laughs> this is the best cancer to have. And oh, by the way, I'm going to carve up your child like right. a turkey. Right. 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 What is 
wrong with you? That's I love her. Crazy. I, love I, her. <laughs> I mean, it's, if you were to tell our stories and put the years to it, you would think that my year was your year. And right. Your year was yeah. Year. Yeah. Yeah. Insane. So there was decisions to be made regarding, okay, you know, he's going to need every time he, he's going to need chemo. He's going to need checkups and we're going to need to draw blood. So what's the best way to do that for a child? One, we could put a metaphoric in, which is under the skin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that will require a poke. However, we have this cream that we can put on top. It will numb the area. And, you know, if he wants to go swimming, he could do that. Or we could do the tubes in the chest, no pokes, everything's good, but no swimming. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, we'll go with the swimming option. Sure. So we did that. We had to have that surgery. And then they were monitoring the um, pressure in his brain. And that was, it kept going up. The cerebral spinal fluid, the endocrineal pressure was going up in his brain. So he had to have a shunt put in. So they did that where they went in and they put a tube from his head and drained, threaded it somehow all the way to his stomach. So he had a couple of scissions in his stomach and his neck and up in his head. So they did that. That one, I think he would say was the most painful surgery for him. He had some cousins to come visit him in the hospital and they were joking and laughing. Well, it hurt to laugh, but he had this incision in his belly. No. So they're give laugh and he's trying not to laugh. He's like, oh, this hurts. Oh. And then the last week that he was in the hospital the first time was chemo. When he had his initial rounds of chemo, six rounds of chemo, the chemotherapy that they put him on, they could not do on an outpatient basis okay. because they need to flush his kidneys. Mm. So it was two different types of chemotherapy poison, if mm-hmm. you will, mm-hmm. that they put into a child to where you've got to stay here. And the rest of the time that this, you know, this coursing through your veins, we need to flush it out of your organs that we don't want it to affect. Yeah. Right. So, and he had to be put on steroids mm-hmm. for infection. And they wanted, before he even started chemo, they wanted to do a pulmonary function test. So one morning I came to the hospital and he was asleep. And I was like, this is weird. What, what's happening? Why is he asleep? So I tried to wake him up. Like, what? What is wrong with you? And then I talked to the nurse. Well... The steroids made it to where he could not go to sleep. So he kept ordering videos throughout the night and was watching video movies all night long. (laughs) And I said, and then another moment I'm not so proud of, but I got mad at him. I'm like, you've got a pulmonary function test today. You've got to be at your best. You needed a good night's sleep. And what's the matter with you? Because, Mom, I didn't know what time it was. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like Las Vegas in here. There's no clocks no. in here. That you can... <laughs> <laughs> so from then on, I had to put on the board, Mom left at, and I put the time, and it said, Mom will be back at, da 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 and I put the time. So um, anyway, so, yeah, so he did six rounds where, okay, we'd come home, and he'd, Oh, this is another thing too. So before getting ready to be discharged, they come in with a video, an orange, and a syringe. And they say, okay, when you go home, uh, you're going to have to give your son daily shots. And we're going to show you how to do that. I started crying then. I'm like, what are you talking about? Uh-huh. I don't give my son shots. Yeah, and it can't go into the muscles. It's got to go under the skin. Like, 
oh my gosh, all this pressure of now mm-hmm. I've got to give him medication mm-hmm. that is help his white blood cell count right. recover. Yes. Um, the chemo, right? Yes. But, and then our dining room turned into like a little mini pharmacy because you've got syringes, yep. you've got yeah. the herbs container, you've got the Emla cream, you've got the Tegaderms to put the Emla cream on. They even let me do that. Okay, we're going to give you the Emla. You put that cream on his thigh. Uh, 30 minutes before you're going to get the shot, right. put the tanker over it, get the medicine out of the refrigerator so I can come to room temperature, get your syringe, draw it up, give them the shot, and dispose of your sharps. I'm like, oh, I'm yeah. Right, yep. right. I, I, I work at budget rented car. I, coll- I collect money for people with damaged cars. What are you talking about? Yeah. And I've got a newborn that I got care of. Yeah. And yeah. I brought that was rough. So then he went through radiation and the place that he went to radiation was in Denver, which was, so what would happen is that my husband and I, it was like nearly a daily talk. I would, I go, go, went back to work. I had to go back to work. I didn't have to go back to work because my health insurance was covering all of this. Uh-huh. My employer allowed me to take that three months maternity leave, but now it's like, you got to make a decision. You got to come back or resign mm-hmm. well i've got to come back the week i had to go back was a week he had to be back in the hospital oh that was so hard so dropping the baby off at daycare my other son's going in the hospital my brother came out so he could stay with him in the, in the mm-hmm. hospital mm-hmm. husband had to go back to work why do you have to go back to work because we got need money in the bank to pay the food bills in the house right. whatever i'd say radiation was really really tough on him he slept for hours every yeah. day. It just wiped it out of him. So he had the radiation in November of 94 when he passed in March of 96. His hair had still not rolled back. Wow. In the area that they had the radiation up against his head. Wow. Mm-hmm. The cancer came back, but his hair did not. Wow. Yeah. So he did go through also oral chemo. Mm. Oral chemo. I know. That's awful. For me, listen to your story. For me, the hardest part for the oral chemo for me, he was older. You know, by this time he's he's doing oral chemo he's nine. The hardest part for that was that they said that he, he had to be restricted on food. He could not eat any aged food. He could not have pepperoni. He could not have cheese. Mm. He can't have pizza. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Those are the two things that I remember. Aged foods, two of which had to be pepperoni and cheese that he couldn't eat during the time he's doing the oral chemo. Oh. Meanwhile, so when he went and had the radiation, my husband and I would call each other, okay, can you get him today? He, it was, you know, who could go get him? Because we'd have to leave, leave work go to Parker to pick him up, take him up to Denver. So we had a time at that we were on time at four o'clock for him to be there for his, be in there for a total of 15 minutes from the time he walked in the door to the time he walked out because they only zapped him for a few minutes mm-hmm. and then go back home. So he finished radiation just before Thanksgiving. And I remember that Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving growing up was full of family. It was full of driving from my parents' home from Northern California and Fremont up to my um, one grandparents lived in Walnut Creek, another in Pleasant Hill. So it was like a car rally. We're going to have dinner here and dessert here and drive home at night and come home. Well, that Thanksgiving, all I could remember and be thankful for is that we didn't have to go to the hospital. We didn't have to go to the hospital. 
We didn't have to go to the doctor. So I remember taking a really long bubble bath that morning and we had just a, I think it was just a quiet Thanksgiving, just the four of us. My parents were besides them. Oh, you're all alone. And I'm like, we're all alone. <laughs> it was great. I get, because it was also exhausting to keeping the family informed what was yeah, going yeah, on. Yeah. It's 1995. What do I have? I have a landline. Mm-hmm. I have email. I don't have text. I don't have social media. Mm-hmm. I have the telephone. And I've got a little uh, word processor that I would type up letters, print off a bunch of copies, and mail them off to family. Oh, my gosh. But I can't tell you how valuable those letters that I treasure that I can look back. Yeah. And I just found one when we just did our most recent move that that I did in February of 96, right after Make-A-Wish, but before he died. Are you open to sharing that? Yeah, you want to do that now? No. Well, I mean, let's let's figure out this timing thing. So so where are we at? Yeah, so where are we at in the cancer journey leading up to? Right, so we're in oral chemo. So we're like in February, March, 95. And, oh, so let me back up just a couple, just a little bit. So December 94, you know, we're done. We, we, we think we're done with treatment right mm-hmm. now. We're just going to have to wait for the subsequent scans. Right. Yeah. So this is the time that I go to my gynecologist and I say, okay, I'm done breastfeeding. I'm ready to get on the pill. Okay. After your next period, start the pill. Okay. New Year's Eve. I go to my husband. I said, I don't know. I don't feel right. Look at my stomach. And he goes, you're pregnant. I go, what? Come on, that can't be happening. We got a kid going through cancer treatment. We have a five month old. Right. So I was pregnant. <gasps> yeah. And so, funny story like, after I had disclosed it later on, that wasn't the time where you waited 12 weeks to tell anybody. You just, you know, started yeah. telling people. But one of my coworkers, he's like, I was really glad to kind of hear that you're pregnant because I was wondering why you weren't losing your baby fat while you weren't getting. <gasps> is, this, <laughs> is this person still alive? curious or did you kill them because <laughs> jesus that's another thing you don't say stupid Stop talking. Shit. <laughs> so i'm pregnant in 95 through 95 he's he's taking oral chemo and actually if i could tell you in in 95 he's uh we did this whole thing where he's you know going back and forth to school you know he could go to school he can't go to school the school knows you know, he's going through cancer treatment and, you know, uh, you know, his immune system is compromised. Yeah. And I dropped him off at um, day, before school daycare. Well, one day I go to uh, into the room and they stop me at the door and they said, you, you can't come in here. I said, why not? Well, somebody dropped their kid off and they have a fever of 101. <gasps> oh, no. I said, okay. So and they might have strep throat. Oh, oh Lord. Okay. So we leave. But I'm pissed. I'm pissed not because my son can't go in, but because even if my son was healthy, how can you drop your kids off at school and have 101 fever? I'm not just concerned about my kid getting strep and because he has cancer. Right. What's wrong with right. you? Why did you die? <laughs> yeah. so, so Ryan, he's, you know, he's at school. This is, you know, a new school year, July 1995. And um, I can tell you how it, in writing something that happened. He, he ended up starting to write poetry oh. with a lady at 
So she's uh, she was uh, working with kids and she worked with kids, you know, separately in how to do in, in writing. My son became published <gasps> in this book called Taste Like Chocolate mm -hmm. that came out in 2007. This is what happened. Where did this book come from? This is from the beginning. It began with a boy named Ryan on July 21st, 1995. That long ago date feels just like yesterday. I'm standing on the playground doing my yard duty, watching eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds playing tag, swinging on swings, shooting hoops, and expending their extra energy before heading back into their classrooms to continue their learning. I am hot. My floppy hat makes me my head sweat. I use my living book, which is a reader's notebook, as a fan. There is no place to hide from the intense heat of a Colorado scorcher. Ryan, a nine-year-old, wears a Broncos ball cap that covers his bald head. He plays with no one. He stands alone. Ryan has an insidious growth in his brain and is undergoing chemotherapy. He walks up to me, points to my notebook, and asks, What's the notebook for? I tell him my living book is a place for me to write my thinking, a place to write my memories, and a place to write my poetry. Poetry, he says, I could never write a poem. If you could, Ryan, what would you write? What are you thinking about? I asked with a smile. God, says Ryan. Oh my gosh. I words into my notebook. The most creative man on earth. God created all the people in the world. Who created God? If we didn't have God, what would our world be like? God is creative. God is lovable. God created me. It was on that hot July day that I began collecting children's writings. Ryan and I wrote together over the next eight months. Ryan too wrote his thoughts, his memories, and his poetry. His last entry in his living book was 10 days before he died of brain cancer. Mm. He wrote a poem about love and his family. Mm. I remember Ryan and his voice. His words live on. Often I think about how grateful I am to work with children like Ryan. I am blessed. Oh. So I had the same reaction you did, Grandma Carmen, because we were Catholic. We grew up Catholic. I was raising him Catholic, but we did, we went to church every Sunday. We mm -hmm. did, you know, first communion and all those things that you're supposed to do. But that was about it. I did not mm -hmm. talk to him a lot about God. And after we moved to Colorado, we started to go to church, but that was about it. We didn't go a lot. We didn't have these prayer circles around him during, you know, in the hospital and all that. I may have sent out a prayer request, mm -hmm. to, but I did not. How can I say this? I believe in God. He believed in God, but I didn't talk to him about God. Mm. And I didn't talk to him about praying or anything like that. So for him to come out with that was just like, it, it kind of yeah. blew me. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. Absolutely. So he started getting his scans showed continued growth. And by this time, there was a neuro oncologist who had trained at St. Jude that came to work at Children's in Denver. And what he wanted to do, he wanted to try a different uh, path. He wanted to do a stem cell harvest and mm. a stem cell plant. Okay. So Ryan had to have the surgery where he had two tubes put in his chest because what they wanted to do, they sent us to the blood donor center and they filtered out his stem cells from mm -hmm. his own blood. Mm -hmm. So they did that and 
they said, we are hoping to harvest enough to give him two rounds of high intense chemotherapy. Okay, that's great. They came and they said, he's just not reproducing white blood cells because mm. of all the therapy that he has received. But we're going to harvest his, his stem cells. So about this time, I give birth to my little girl. And about the time that they're ready for him to do the stem cell transplant, first they put him into the organ transplant unit where they put the kids basically in isolation so that they're not collecting sure. germs from right. people. Mm-hmm. Put him into the organ transplant unit. They give him the high dose chemotherapy and then they do the stem cell transplant. So I think it's during this time they're doing the stem cell transplant that he busts out his Jeff Foxworthy jokes <laughs> <laughs> to the doctor, you know, telling him about, you know, whatever Jeff Foxworthy jokes. <laughs> um, so when, when they harvested his stem cells, they preserved them in some sort of solution that after they gave him his stem cells, it's like this kid was eating garlic 24-7. Oh. This odor was coming out of his skin. Because that's what garlic does. Yeah. 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 It was just like, and they told us, they said, look, we've got to preserve the stem cells. They'll be frozen. We've got to put them in a solution. But when we transplant it back, it's going to smell like garlic. Like, And it did. It was bad. <laughs> Bad, could he smell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, love him. So that was yeah, September 95. So we go back December 15th, 1995. He has a checkup and they take us into a room. Just my husband and I with a doctor, a social worker, a chaplain. The fellow oncologist, the head of neuro-oncology, they said, I don't exactly remember what they said, except I remember this, that the tumor has continued to grow and that he has one day to one year to live, but most likely he will die within six months. So they say, you can do what you want. However, we recommend you do not tell him. And we said, mm. why is that? And they said, we have told children that you are going to die and the next day they die. Oh, my gosh. Because they, oh, my gosh. But he's out, how old right now? Nine. He's ten. He's ten? He's ten years old. So it's not like time. he doesn't understand what's happening. This is the thing, too, Grandma Carmen. Not one time did we ever talk about death or dying. That's- and that's one thing, I guess, that I go back and forth on. Should I? Should we have had a conversation? Could I say, you're going to go to heaven, and when you do, come visit me and, you know, make this song play on the radio, and I'll know it's you. Right. Never had that conversation. Since we didn't have the conversation, well, they said, well, you took your make-a-wish trip. And I said, no, because we're waiting till when he's well and when it's nice. Mm -hmm. And they said, you need to do it now. Yeah. Mm. It's December 15th. Christmas is 10 days away. Wow. I've got a four-month-old and an 18-month-old, and now you're telling my 10-year-old, so it's time. <sighs> so, so we went and got Ryan, and we went to the elevator to go to the 
parking lot. And my husband and I, we didn't talk about this, but Brian says, so what the doctor say? And my husband, without skipping a beat, just says, said not to worry about it. Nothing for you to worry about. So within a very short period of time, we met with Make-A-Wish of Denton. Um, They asked what his wish was. One thing that they were just very clear on uh, of, this has got to be the child's wish. Yes, yeah, they make it very clear. <laughs> they make it very clear that it has to be, yes. And we're going to talk to everybody about it. Who's going, da, da, da. And I said, and it was, so we asked him, what do you want to do? Well, I want to go to Disney World in Florida. Go for it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then in my mind, I'm like, traveling with three kids on a plane and worrying about diapers and naps and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, the two little ones are not going to remember it anyways. This has got to be his time. Yeah. So every year my in-laws would come from Arizona to Colorado to stay with us for Christmas. And they did that from then and then thereafter. So they were there then. I don't know why they were there so early, but they were December 15th. And we planned our trip for January 9th. So we just said, can you stay? So they did. So, but first I said, look, I've got to go back to California with him. Say goodbye. Mm. I say goodbye without knowing that he's saying goodbye. Yeah. They need to say goodbye. So we made arrangements for just Ryan and I to fly to California to my parents. And we walked in the door and, you know, there everybody was, you know, aunts, uncles, cousins, great aunts, great, you know, great grandparents, you know, they're all there Christmas day to see him. And actually, the day before, my brother and his wife had just given birth to a baby girl. Mm. So they were there, which now thinking about it, I'm like, you're crazy bringing a newborn into this house with all these people. <laughs> right. But my uncle came up to me and he said, oh my gosh, he looks great. I go, I know. They must be rolling. If you were to ask a stranger to pick somebody out in this room who's going to die within the six month, next six months, Nobody would pick him. Right. He was okay. He was eating. He was drinking. He was telling jokes. He was, you know, my ha- my dad had this little play car that the kids could go drive. So we took it to a school and he got to drive it around the school. I got to drive it with him. He was, it was fine. So we had, we decided to keep him out of school, you know, because I said he was going to die. So we went on a make wish trip. So he decided that he wanted to take his best friend. Well, his best friend had just moved to Arizona. So I had to make that call to the mom mm. and talk to her. And talk to her about it, but have her not tell her son mm. that his best friend was dying. So they said, we're going to send you out to stay at a place called Give Kids the World. And so, okay. But they said the first night, they don't have availability, so you're going to have to go to a Disney hotel. So we flew to Florida. First of all, a little picked us up at home, which was fantastic. Yeah, that's what they did with us too. Yeah, Libo picked us up, took us there. And, you know, he, they had a little bar, so I poured him a Sprite. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers with his Sprite. (laughs) And then he's looking out the window and he goes, oh, I wonder if they're wondering, you know, who's in the limousine on tour. And um, I said, yeah, because you know they can't see you. He goes, they can't? I go, no. So they start sticking out his tongue. (laughs) (laughs) So Make-A-Wish arranged to fly his best friend from Arizona to Colorado. And then we had to go pick him up at the gate so that the four of us could fly out together. So we did. Give Kids the World was there immediately. 
they with a sign that says, welcome, Camillo's. Yes, yeah. And that was so awesome, you know, having this sign, like, being treated like a rock star. Yes. <laughs> Come on down, come get your rental car. So we did. And then we went to the Disney hotel. We had to park the car in the parking lot, take all our luggage, go across the parking lot, go into the hotel, go upstairs, and go into our room. And it was nice. But when we went to give kids the world village, it was just much nicer because it's we got much to nicer. Car yes. Yeah. <laughs> and you were right there. You didn't have to go through. Because, you know, when, when you're done with Disney, you're done with walking. Who in the world wants to walk from a parking lot, you know, parking yeah. garage all the way up to your hotel? So give kids the world village. They forever changed our lives. Yeah. Really. They did. Mm-hmm. We had a two-bedroom villa with a VHS player that you could go and check out all the movies that you wanted, right? right? They, had mm-hmm. this. they had juice and cookies in the room, and the boys had their own room. Mm-hmm. And what was great is they could just be 10-year-old boys yeah. and just talk and laugh. They did have the bathroom set up, handicap accessible, which is good because during that trip, he fell a couple mm. of times. Oh. This is like the beginning of the end of his bona functions. But he didn't want a wheelchair. I will get you a wheelchair. Nope. <laughs> I don't want I'm, I'm going to walk. I found this writing that I wrote. For some reason, this is a three-page letter. And for some reason, I don't have page one. But I do have some memories of that. In regards to Magic Kingdom, I said, so we went in January 9th. And I said, Magic Kingdom was surprisingly crowded. I'm like, should kids be in school? Right. Why are kids <laughs> it's January 9th. I'm like, it's crowded. It took us so long to stand in line that we could only go on one ride an hour. That's how long we were standing in line. So nothing has changed. Well, (laughs) no, it's true that nothing else has changed as far as how much. But when we went with the baby, she had a tag that actually let her in the front of the line. Okay, so back in 1996, Disney would not let give kids the role people to the front of the kids to the wow. front they said all all of their guests are special wow that was magic kingdom and disney now i will tell you i did document universal studios different we've got a handicapped party pass the button front of the line right i mean there was no line and the jaws ride they they had read it like a couple of times and i'm like Okay, you guys can wait in line now for 30 seconds. I think it's a little bit obnoxious because <laughs> the line isn't that long. <laughs> you can probably wait in line. You don't have to budget for the line. You've already wrote it too bad. So, yeah, Universal was the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, uh, the, oh, and that's another thing I wrote. The attractions were closer together, so he didn't have to do as much walking. And that night, also, we were given a complimentary dinner at Hard Rock Cafe. Oh, cool. Yeah. From Give Us the World that says, go to the front of the line, which I did that time because it was Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not waiting that line. We're hungry. That's terrible. But we so we had appetizers, dinners, dessert. Matter of fact, the waiter waiter kept to me goes, um, you guys want you need to order more food. You need to eat more food. So we said, okay, we'll order dessert. And then Ryan and his best friend were taken and they were uh, given t-shirts, mm. hard rock. Mm. A t-shirt so really really cool they also did for us a parents night out 
Oh. A gift certificate to my husband and I to go to dinner at the Hyatt Regency. Ooh. Yeah. So <laughs> I went to the parent meeting where they, they give you everything. You know, we got a disposable camera and film yes. and, and the button that says give kids the world. Right. So that when you were in there, whatever part people knew, yes. and although at Disney, we didn't get to the front of the line, they did give us the complimentary photos. Oh. You know, they would photo and they get, we got those complimentary. So I went, so, you know, when we were planning for this trip, it, well, we're going to Disney. So, you know, we're taking sweatpants and shorts or whatever. Well, we were taking shorts, even though it was snowy in Colorado. We're like, we're going to Florida, so it's going to be hot. Yeah. Oh, no, it was the coldest January on record. Oh, yeah, we had to buy, to buy sweatshirts, and I have a picture. We're at SeaWorld, and Ryan's holding a cup of hot chocolate, just trying to get warm. Oh. <laughs> but I come back from this meeting, and I and they say, you know, here's a gift certificate. Parents night out. Parents go out. We're gonna give you a pager. We're gonna put the kids in the gingerbread house. They're gonna have pizza, a magician. All of this is going to be great. So I go back to our villa and I told my husband, I said, get out your good sweats because we're going to the higher regency. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what we have. I think we ended up wearing jeans, but that's what we had. I was nervous the entire time trying to enjoy my dinner of this, you know, night out. But like, what if something happens? But we have a pager. What, what if something happens? And that was actually kind of typical of through the cancer journey yeah. of, when I'm with him, we're good. Mm -hmm. If I have to be away from him, guilt and worry. Yeah. 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 The entire time. So first when we got back, I'm like, okay, we're ready to go back. He's like, I don't want to leave. They let us make our own Sundays. I got pizza. I got a yep. magician here. I don't I don't want to leave here. I don't want to leave here. They'd rather stay there, actually, than even go to some of the parks. Yeah. Right? So when we were gonna fly back, we were at the Orlando International Airport and I'm walking along and I look I go oh my gosh there's Huey Lewis <gasps> stop <laughs> wow. Huey Lewis oh my gosh so like, I was going to the bathroom and I'm like if I do not ask him to take a picture with us I will regret that yes you will <laughs> so I found him at his gate there he was with his band at his gate mm -hmm. and I went up to him and I said I'm a huge fan I went to see you in concerts in the Bay Area and I just can I please take a picture of you and he said only if the boys are in it Aww. so we got this picture and does that just cap it off to have just a fantastic memory of be happy to be stuck with you yes talk about divine intervention right <laughs> so we got back he was doing okay so we thought we're going to send him back to school. So we sent him back to school. And I'm glad I wrote this down because when I now remember it, he was at school. He fell backwards and he hit the back of his head <gasps> on the playground at school. And for some reason, they called and they got a hold of my husband. I don't know what happened, but my husband went to pick him up. And when my husband went to pick him up, he couldn't even walk. Oh, no. no. My husband was pissed. He's like, first of all, you know what's happening with him, and he can't even walk. Oh, he was so bad. Like, it why didn't they call 911? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I guess there was blood. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. So then we decided, uh, so it was about that time he started losing his short-term memory. 
Mm. He didn't know what day it was. Mm. He would ask me, Mom, did I eat breakfast? Mom, did I eat lunch? And I'd have to tell him whether or not he did. He couldn't remember. So then he got a cold, so he couldn't stay at school for more than a few hours. When he was walking, he was starting to hold on to the walls and grab furniture. I'm like, okay, this is done. And so I stayed home with him, took a, took a layoff from my employer because they were actually getting ready to move to Florida. And they said, they said, I'm going to take that layoff. They go, but we want to keep you as an employee. I'm like, yeah, well, I really need severance because I don't know how long this is going to last. Yeah. I'm going to take severance. So my last day of work was February 6th. We ended up having hospice. We ended up having hospice because he got no longer a walk. Mm-hmm. So we were in contact with his oncologist. And they set up hospice. When they, they, they gave us that prognosis, that final one on December 15th, they said, well, we could do palliative care. So what is that? That's what we said. Well, we could still give him oral chemo to kind of slow the progression. I go, slow the progression so it won't stop it. No. I said, no. I don't want him going through any more chemo. Yeah. If it's not going to cure him. Right. Mm-hmm. Why would I do that? Right. Prolong that? No. I said, no, we're stopping. Okay. So. Can I ask you, it, while Ryan is experiencing sort of, you know, functions sort of deteriorating, did he ask questions like, why is this happening or what, you know, why am I experiencing this? Nothing. And he's two years old. Yeah. And I could, I, I think there's stories of kids that are like five or six who are like, Mom, I'm going to go be with Jesus. And he never, we never talked about that. As a matter of fact, hospice came, when they set up hospice, one of the hardest things I've ever had to send in my life is a do not resuscitate order because the condition upon accepting hospice is that no life saving measures will be taken. So they set up the hospital bed, we cleared out our guest room, put in the hospital bed because now he he just cannot walk on his own. And I can't help him to the bathroom. He's like a hundred pounds. And so it was just safer. So they were, it were really good. A CNA came in every day, would give him initially tried to lift him and put him in the bathtub and then decided that that was a bad idea. So then we'd just do sponge baths with him. So they were doing that. And then I don't know, at some point he got really bad. He was just going into these fits. Maybe they were seizures. And when I talked Mm. about at the beginning that when they discharged us the first time, they said, you know, he could have seizures and seizures could Mm. look like just staring off into space. I'm like, yeah, he did that before he was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. But he never had any of those grand mal seizures you never had that but he would have these bouts of he would put his arms and legs out straight out and they would just be so stiff so Mm, stiff crying in pain so we would be on top there would be two of us and we were trying to massage his arms and legs and trying to relieve his pain because at at that point he was like he was out of it he wasn't even talking to us so there was that one point where the hospice sent a nurse to spend the night with us all night long and i thought that was gonna be it but it wasn't that he came back out to where he was lucid mm-hmm. and talking but we had to keep him uh with morphine and his speech was slurred he's like this is what's up I'm like what 
what is he saying to my husband? I'm like, what is he talking about? He's, he said, he's saying D2. I go, oh, D2, the Mighty Ducks. He wants to watch D2, the Mighty Ducks, the movie. So at the end, you know, we were using the Metaport to give him his anti-seizure medication. Well, there was one night in the middle of the night. I was trying to push it, trying to push it. Nothing was going through. Nothing was happening. I couldn't give him his medication. They had given us a bottle of liquid morphine with a dropper. I'm like, he's not even swallowing. How can I get that to him? What if he chokes on it? Right. So we called this in the middle of the night. And the guy came out and he's trying to access the port and he can't get it to work. So then he goes to the bathroom and he's in there for a while. And I finally said to my husband, like, what is happening? What is he doing? He goes, my husband goes, I think he's in there because he shit his pants because he doesn't know what to do. Mm. Because what the part of the problem was is that these, we found hospice, they were fantastic, but they were used to working with adults. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And mm-hmm. not, they didn't have the right butterfly needles to access kids' right. pain. All of that, which was shocking, Right. Subsequently, the Children's Hospital of Denver developed a children's, sadly, a children's hospital program. Mm. So two days before Palm Sunday, the CNA comes and he's got a two Easter baskets. And, I, and I'm watching him come in, about to come in the house. I told my husband, I said, what's happening? Why is he bringing these Easter baskets now? Easter isn't for another 10 days. What? Why is he bringing them now? And that was the last day he came because he knew that Ryan was going to die, mm. and we did oh. But I told us, you know, have the family come, say goodbye. And at this point, he, I guess he's in a coma. I don't know. He's not with us. Mm. And really, we had hospice the last three weeks of his life, and the last two days were awful. Mm-hmm. He would go in to have these fevers of like 100, 400, 5. Wow. And we were trying to, you know, what do we do? What do we do? What you need to put? get cold rags and rotate them uh, at the base of the neck, under the arms and between the thighs. Okay. And you know, he's in a diaper at this point and kind of change his diaper. And so I remember the day before he died and I just went to him and I know people have, have said this before. I've heard this. And I remember telling him, I know you're repeating it. It's okay to go. It's okay to go. I love you. So later that night, he starts with a really funny breathing and my husband says, I want you to leave. I don't want you to watch this. So I did. And it was about 10 o'clock and he comes in the room. He goes, I don't know if I can do this. He says, you don't understand the noises that aren't happening. And I said, well, if you can't do it, I'm going to do it because he will not be alone when he dies. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, I'll do it. 25 years later, my husband and I still have not had a deep conversation about what happened because it's so painful. But he did share with me at one point, Ryan went, (gasps) so he's like, so he put his hand to his neck to feel a pulse and he took another deep breath in again and scared shit out of my husband. I don't know how much longer after that that he actually took his last I was in our room with our son. It was about two o'clock in the morning, and he came to me and he said, "He's he's passed." I said, "Okay." So I went in there and I looked at him, and something about his face had completely changed. And I said, "That's not him. That's not him." And I turned around and walked out. I couldn't. 
That was not my son. That was not my son. And we started making the phone call that we had to make. We had to call hospice, and hospice had to come, and hospice had to call the doctor to pronounce him, and we had to call the funeral services, and of course we were calling the family. But I didn't go back into the room. Who does that? Who just leaves their child? I should have crawled up into the bed with them and hugged them, but I didn't. No. No, you did what you were supposed to do, Roxanne. It's not, this is the hardest thing that anybody, especially a mom, has ever had to deal with. Horrible. And he wasn't there anymore. He wasn't. I don't think he was either, but I just, I just cannot describe to you what his, how, how he changed and how to be how his soul just left his body and how his soul is what made up of his his features and personality and that's that's it that's what they say i, I got stairs the hospice nurse you know for giving me instructions on how to properly dispose of his meds while his body is just laying in a bed oh it's yes it's horrible because it's when they start talking to you so like clinically when you just and lost calmly. your son yeah, yeah. Like, it's oh, awful. this is this is the next process. Well, yeah. can I get a second to fucking deal with what just yes. happened here? Yes. Yeah. And again, they're just doing their job and I totally understand. But you're not even as far as I'm concerned, you, you don't even hear it. No, there's, you don't. There's nothing that computes at that time. No, it's you're I, in this fog of. Yes. Of trauma and losing time. I still yeah. talk about that. I feel like I lost time. There's just like the fuck i'm in the twilight zone or something this can't be right and there's there's no guidance to say that there's, you know no. what you're supposed to do in that so whatever you had to do to get through that uh, moment was what you had to do exactly and the, the uh when you think about it too we knew it was going to happen we were given the processes of the steps of dying mm. uh steps we had to go to the meeting with a funeral home even before he died mm -hmm. to make those arrangements. And one of the parts of that morning is that we did have to call the funeral home and he showed up in his suit and tie. It was four o'clock in the morning and he dressed in the suit and tie to properly. Well, unfortunately, I did look back. They said, go into the family room and don't look. Well, what are you going to do? Right? <laughs> yeah, that's not luck. Yeah. So I can hear the steps coming down the steps. So I turned around and looked, and there was my son in a black bag. That big That's awful. That's awful. And there's so much you want to do, and yes. you've already decided that he's going to be cremated, and then all of a sudden it's like, wait, no, oh, wait, was that the right decision? Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be cremated, and it's too late. You already made that decision because. The reason why I made that decision is I said his body has already deteriorated so much from all of these poisons. I don't want it deteriorating into the ground. I just want it done in a little bit. So we went to bed for a few hours and then uh, you know our babies are waking up. So my then almost two year old, twenty two month old, when you talk about that first day when Beauty Swather brought down the stairs. I had my son, baby, and we walked by the room where Ryan was. And it's so my, you know, she just said, where's Rabbi? Mm. And I just had to say, Rabbi, he went bye-bye. He went to heaven. You don't understand. Mm -mm. That part was hard. I do remember, though, 
you know, everybody, all the friends, family, everybody's getting the news and it's you know, devastating, devastating. Those first few days though, for us, was relief. Because mm. we've been living with him in his pain, yeah. being in a diaper, laying in a hospital bed. Yeah. It was 10 days, but it seemed like months. Yeah. And this is the end of a 22 month old journey that yes. is exhausting, stressful. Now what do we do? Right. Now what do we do? Well, we've got to have a funeral. The day that he died, well, actually, I'll back up a little bit. His godmother, the one that made her the godmother, you know, the one that was trying so desperately to have a baby, I made her his godmother, and she called me, I don't know, around March 10th. She said, I want to come see Ryan. She lives in California. I said, okay, well, Aunt Vicky's coming March 31st. So, you know, after that, we'll be good for us. She goes, no, 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 I want to come now. I want to be grandma now. Okay. Well, it's a good thing she did because he was laying in the hospital bed, but he was able to talk. They were able to visit. Mm. We were able to get pictures. Mm. When Aunt Vicky came on March 31st, he had already passed. Mm. So she still came, but she walked into the room where he was and she looked around and she's like, he's gone. I said, yeah. I feel that too. I don't feel like his soul or spirit or anything is here at all. And she had experience with that, fortunately, because in 1990, her 17-year-old son committed suicide. Oh, gosh. And his spirit and soul lived, into their, lived in their house. I think they had to seek assistance from a priest. Wow. They had a lot of things that happened but anyhow she's like he's gone i said i know and then she looked at me and we were talking and she said you are one year should know at the point that you're at i was at a year after my son died so i don't know if that meant because i had been kind of grieving preparing and wasn't as in shock Mm -hmm. sadly i was relieved he wasn't in pain yeah, we've heard that before. So it's beautiful. Jess yeah. said that a little bit too. Jess said it, but um, so did Kelly. Mm-hmm. There was a relief. Mm-hmm. It is the, you've been watching him in pain for so long. Yeah. And yeah. it's a roller coaster not... with everything that was, yeah. Yeah, the ups and downs. Is he going to live? Yes. Is he not going to live? Mm-hmm. I had a conversation my husband had with the doctors at one point about what was happening. Um, pregnant with the third one at the time you know what exactly pointing then regarding you know the odds what are we looking at here you know trying to get a straight answer what are we looking at here i don't know what he said but i'm sure years later looking back at that diagnosis we always said well of course when you hear a grade four stage four that's a death sentence Mm -hmm. but even with that type of cancer doesn't have a very good survival rate right even all these years later. Yep. Well, I think this is a, a good time to take a break. So we'll come, when we come back, we'll talk about, you know, how we've been able to move in any direction after that and talk about how you've coped and how you've tended to the children throughout the journey. So we'll come back and continue with Roxanne on the next one. Hey, cool kid. Love you. <laughs> 